Welcome back to The Christ in Culture, the show where we discuss culture as a means of evangelization, which is a big word, by finding elements of Christ and his church revealed within. This is Gordon. And this is Clint. It's not only a big word, it's like a, like a big thing. Yeah, it, it's true. It's hard to do. Yeah, but I've been talking about this a lot recently with my teens. Like, I feel like it's something that we as Catholics kind of suck at because we get used to sitting in our pews on Sunday and you're like, okay, oh, I'm such a good Catholic. Like I sat, I sat in my pew and I didn't even talk at mass. Like I'm so good, but we kind of leave out the evangelization part sometimes. And I feel like with everything going on with the, the pandemic and people leaving church and stuff, like mm-hmm. we're going to have to step it up. So we have an opportunity, I think. Yeah. Big word, big thing, but it's all good. Yeah. How have you been? it's been a while yeah no i i've i've been good we just had today our last summer ministry so normally we we do like retreats and stuff but this year obviously that wasn't an option so we did all online ministry and to be honest it was it's been one of my favorite parts of being a youth minister in the last three years has been this summer's ministry Mm, yeah just the the way i've been able to grow with the kids that that come has just been so awesome. So, so good. So part of me is really sad that uh, today was the last day, but also part of me is like, holy cow, it's August and I've barely gotten a chance to start planning for the next year and and all the chaos that comes with it. So it definitely needs to happen, but part of me is a little sad. So that's where I'm at. How about you? I think, I think it was the last week for a lot of our summer ministry too, but I've not been in Houston right now, so I don't know. I think I'm pretty sure the interns go home this weekend. So, yeah, I, I think that's what I heard as well. Yeah. I've been, well, I've been busy. I am in Georgia currently with, with Lizzie and I are both here with my family. And yeah, I've just been doing a lot and there's a lot still to do. So, it's just a lot of, uh, it's a roller coaster of good, bad, and the ugly. But it's, uh, it's been an interesting, I don't know how to put it. I haven't really put this into words yet. I don't know. There's a lot to say. I could do a whole podcast on my last two weeks, to be honest. Mm-hmm. But it's been good, I guess. I don't know. It's, I'm, I'm okay. Good. Good, good. We've, de- we've definitely been praying for, for y'all, and you yeah. know that. So let's go ahead and talk about uh, with whatever little free time you've had, <laughs> what have you been taking in as far as media this, this past couple weeks? So I am doing a lot, but we also have to like, equally intentionally choose time to rest. So we're also making sure we do take time to rest. So before, well, I'll end with that, but Umbrella Academy season two just came out on Friday. Lizzie and I finished it come Sunday. How many episodes are there? I'm on like episode seven. Okay. So I'm almost there. Yeah. I think it's marvelous. Uh, Lizzie liked it up until a certain episode near the end where it started to become it, this season becomes way more comic booky than the previous season sure and so there's like one thing she's like do they have to do that i'm like yeah it's just a comic book but yeah I, I liked it a lot i liked it better than season one and then we starting monday of this week we started playing because i brought it for my brother uh mario odyssey for the switch which is, it's, it was like one of the first Mario games that came out for the Switch when the Switch came out. And it's great. It's awesome. 
it's like a co- well, you don't have to do co-op, but there's a two-player version for the story mode. So we just finished that actually last night, but now I'm going back to try to get like 100%. So is it just like the classic adventure style? No, Mario? it's a it's a new. It's very much like Mario Galaxy meets like Mario um, Sunshine. I don't know if you played either of those. Nope, I never really played Mario. Like I played okay. classic, like the jumpy 2D. This is 3D. Um, the storyline is ridiculous. It's like super silly. Bowser's trying to marry Peach and he stole a, a crown tiara that has like a ghost spirit in it. And, um, or no, it's not ghost spirit. It's sentient because there's a town called Cap Town where all the beings are hats. And so Mario's hat gets destroyed as Bowser kicks him off the thing. And then I find the brother to the tiara in Cap Town where I land and we team up to take down Bowser and find his sister. And basically he becomes my hat. And because it's a sentient hat, like you can throw your hat onto things and become them. So like I can become, you can become Chomp Chomp or like you can become a Goomba or like there was one point where I was a T-Rex, like literally T-Rex with like a Mario hat and mustache. Huh. That's pretty crazy actually. And like it's a that. three. It's like it's just like a three D puzzle world where so it's still like puzzles and all the stuff, but it's really fun. Storyline silly, but it is. I think it's great. So highly recommend if you haven't played it. If you have a Switch, we did that, and then before we even came out to Georgia, we'd finished uh, one and a half seasons of Avatar, The Last Airbender, because mm-hmm. both of us had seen the first season, but I don't think we ever really completed the whole series. Really. Yeah, so we just watched it in its completion and we finished it like last week sometime. Wow. I think actually last Thursday before the Umbrella Academy came out. Okay, yeah, good timing there. Yeah, it was great. So we have pretty similar stuff then other than the Mario. So I, I listened to an audiobook. It was like a 48-hour audiobook and I just finished the, the first book in the series like a week before but it's called Words of Radiance by Brandon Sanderson. And the first book was The Way of Kings. I think I told you about that whenever I had started reading it, but it was like a really slow book. I didn't really get into it until about hour 25 of the audiobook, which was fortunate that I kept going because it's amazing. So finished that. And then I watched on Disney Plus. That's a thing, yeah. I, I think it was on Disney Plus, but it was called Drain the Oceans. It was just like uh, lost cities, basically. And then what would happen if you... No, it was like lost parts of history. If you drain the, the ocean in that area, what would you find? And they basically do like sonic scans of the water to like reanalyze history. So some of huh. it was like German U-boats. Some of it was like... um I don't know, like just different things that have been lost in the water. So that was kind of interesting. It also got a little too cheesy of, I don't know, you know, those like history channel where they just hype up things that just probably are not nearly as interesting as they make it sound. So it was a little bit of that. And then, as I said, I've also been watching Umbrella Academy, have not finished it yet, but I I agree. I like this one better than season one. I'm glad I actually watched it. I almost didn't. And then... Yeah. The other big thing is I too have been watching Avatar The Last Airbender, which is, I feel like I say this all the time, but it's one of my favorite shows. Like growing up, this was 
the show. And I was just thinking about this on my way home from work today. My brother used to mock me for, for watching this show, my older brother. And now it's the most famous or the most popular show in America right now, like, which is, is crazy. Or maybe it's not the number one, but it's still still top 10 because I was doing some some research, obviously, because that's going to be today's topic is Avatar The Last Airbender, or at least part of it. And I found out that it's actually been in the top 10 ever since it's been on Netflix, which is over two months now. I'm not now. surprised. I mean, as soon as we ended it, we, we said we could watch it again. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's so good. And now going, coming back as an adult, I'm realizing it's even better than I thought as a kid. Like everything is just so, so well done. And so this is on Netflix, like I said, and I personally think that they are putting on Netflix to hype up the fact that they are making a live action for Netflix. It's at the very early stages of oh, that. I forgot about that. Not to be confused with the live action movie that completely botched everything. This They're bringing back the original creators, writers, musicians, martial arts advisors, everything, all the original people, and they're having actual racially specific casting. So it's not going to be whitewashed actors and stuff like that. So they're trying to do it right. Everything that we hated about the live action, they're putting hopefully correct on this one. So I'm super excited. But yeah, most of you guys probably know it's originally from Nickelodeon. And yeah. So today we're going to be talking about Avatar, The Last Airbender. Huge spoiler at the beginning. If you have not seen the show, you should definitely do that before listening to this episode. We're not going to give like our normal deep synopsis like we normally do because this show is so packed with like everything. So many different themes we could talk about. Gordon, you and I were talking before. We could literally do a podcast episode for every episode of the show. Yeah, because I think... What I like about the show, having seen it now in its completion, is that it's essentially like a D&D campaign. Um, and that's like the lens that I watch it in of just like they have this ultimate goal that he finally, you know, finally discovers like by episode five. And then they have all these means of trying to stop that before that happens. But I, what I love about the show is they don't speed up time, like travel and all this stuff to get there, it takes time. And uh, this was, you know, before cars. And so each episode is like them just trying to get from point A, not to point Z, but to the next closest point. And then when they get there, there's like a little side quest. And so each episode is its own side quest with so many Christian moral themes. It's ridiculous. Yeah. And then you have episodes like Zuko Alone or Appa's Lost Days or Tales of Bossing Say, where it's these isolated character driven, like right. they are alone and you're seeing their story. And there's just so many amazing things with that. What we should say ahead of time is this is going to be almost entirely just season one and season two. Next week's episode will be season three. We'll focus a lot on Zuko and his, his character arc. And then we are planning on doing a special mini episode just on Iroh and his words of wisdom for our patrons. So you can expect that coming out soon too. Well, White Lotus episode. Ooh, White Lotus. Yes, I like that. What we will not be covering though is these. I know listeners, you can't see these, but I'm holding up all the avatar manga books right now so we will not be covering all the extended universe we will not be covering the kiyoshi series that came out and we will not be covering 
Legend of Korra. Legend of Korra, which is not nearly as good as Avatar, in my opinion. But but it's also still really good. Yeah, still very, very popular. So we will not really be covering most of those things. So if you are a fan of that, sorry, we can only do so much in one episode. Anything else you want to preface with? Uh, not really. I mean... You know, if you've seen any type of anime, you know, all those each season is like 20 to 25 episodes. Mm -hmm. So since we'll be covering trying to cover two seasons, like we're just really skimming the surface of general themes of kind of individual episodes and overall story arc. So we know that we're missing a lot. And to speak for Clint, he's been preparing this for a month now and is still really nervous to do it and he's afraid that we're not going to do it justice but it's just so hot right now that we we want to do it because there's stuff in there so yeah yeah we could make this probably five episodes five podcasts if we wanted to but we're not going to do that yeah and, and to speak to that this has been one of the most requested episodes we've had so shout out right at the beginning to some of the people who, who've requested it. Cody Labe was one. And then uh, one of our patrons, Kenzie Ellsburn, both offered a lot of insight and stuff as well. So shout out to you guys for, for bringing this to our attention. We've wanted to do this for over a year. And like Gordon said, I've just been too afraid to tackle it because it's, it's, it's so near and dear to my heart. So hopefully we can do it justice. And if there's anything that you guys notice that you want to bring up, please reach out to us. You can find all of our contact information at the bottom of this. Otherwise, just feel free to send us something on Twitter at on the adventure two is our handle. So with that, Gordon, let's go ahead and tackle one of the greatest shows of all time. Okay. So synopsis, you guys should have a pretty good understanding of this, this show, because we warned you, you should watch this first, but we have this world where people can certain people are gifted with the ability to manipulate or bend one of the four elements, which are water, earth, fire, and air. Okay. And then one person can control all four elements has complete control over the material and spiritual world, essentially, or he's supposed to this great war broke out and is now threatening to destroy the world as they know it. And that's where we have season one come in. So we have season one, Katara and Sokka find Aang and they journey with him to the North Pole so that he can learn waterbending. Zuko tries to catch Aang to redeem his honor. Okay. Season two, we have Azula who enters. That is uh, Zuko's sister. She enters to try and capture Zuko, Iroh, and Aang. And then Team Avatar, which is Katara, Sokka, Aang. And then eventually they add in Toph. They try to teach Aang earthbending and try to figure out how how is the best way to fight back against the fire nation? Cause they're, they realize they're running out of time. So those are the two seasons we're going to be covering just so you guys have an idea of the context. Like we said, everything with Zuko and season three will be next week with that. I, I do want to mention that most of the stuff in here, there, there are a lot of religious themes in here that are explicit. They're, they're intended, but they're not really Christian religious themes necessarily. So a lot of what we see, all of the different nations or, or tribes or, or kingdoms, stuff like that, are supposed to represent real life people. So the Fire Nation is supposed to be Imperial Japan. So you see a lot of themes there. The Earth Kingdom is supposed to be mostly China, but it's so big, it kind of hits a different, a few different cultures. 
the water tribes, the North and South Pole, are supposed to be the, the Inuit people or the Eskimo. And the air nomads are supposed to be Tibetan monks. And so we see a lot of Hinduism. We see Buddhism. We see like all these different cultures and religions coming together. Yeah. Yeah, I guess the only thing I would add as far as the premise would be the war, because the war doesn't like just randomly break out. It's more of, I mean, there's literally the premise in the intro to the show, but like the Fire Nation just decides they don't want to be in communion with the rest of the elements in the nations and they start this major war. And as soon as the war breaks out, there's one avatar until the avatar and the avatar is kind of like the Pope in the sense of there's only one at a time. And as soon as it ends, there's another one. Hmm. I wasn't doing that for the podcast. I'm just trying to paint that picture. As soon as the war breaks out, the avatar disappears. And so when they find Aang, like you said, in season one, this is like, they didn't know he was the avatar at first. And when they do, it's like this big deal because the avatar has been missing. Yeah. If not almost assumed to never come back. Right. Yeah, let's let's actually just read the short intro. Me and me and Lily tried. To, we were watching like the end of season two or beginning of season three. And mom's like, "Can you just catch me up to speed?" And we are, we explained like the whole thing on our own. And then we watched the next episode, and it went through. And I was like, "Why didn't we just show her this?" <laughs> yeah, because the the intro. There's two different intros. So there's the one that you see on the first episode, and then it changes to just be. The do the second one. Yeah, do the synopsis one. That one's great. Yeah. Okay. So I'm not going to do the voice, but this is Katara <laughs> that that voice is over. So it's water, earth, fire, air. Long ago, the four nations lived together in harmony. Then everything changed when the Fire Nation attacked. Only the Avatar, master of all four elements, could stop them. But when the world needed him most, he vanished. 100 years passed, and my brother and I discovered the new avatar, an airbender named Aang. And although his airbending skills are great, he has a lot to learn before he's ready to save anyone. But I believe Aang can save the world. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> no, that's great, because I think that's a good transition into characters now that you've mentioned some names. Yeah, yeah. So I've mentioned a few. Aang obviously is our avatar. He's 12 slash... 112 years yeah, old. Yeah, he's been hibernating for 100 years, but he's perpetually 12 years old. Yeah. So he is technically an air nomad. Uh, so he's very like Tibetan monk-esque, but he's the last surviving airbender because all the others have been killed by the Fire Nation. Because you can predict where the next avatar is going to come from as far as one of the four it's elements. the same cycle, yeah. It's the same cycle. And so the Fire Nation knew that. So to stop them, they killed all of the airbenders, but he just happened to escape because he ran away. And so we, we learned that later on. So we'll just kind of throw that out there now. So we have him, obviously the central character. And then we have Katara, who is a very powerful waterbender, Aang's probably best friend and a love interest, although she doesn't really know it necessarily. She's his second best friend. Second, oh, Appa. Yes. Well, then there's also Boomy. I mean, he has a lot of friends. Aang is a really friendly guy. Yeah, but he left all of his friends for Appa. Yeah. That is true. That is very true. But she is a lot of the times, I think, the sense of hope, compassion, and reason in the group. And we'll talk about this later, but I think she and a lot of other characters, female characters in this, are very good representations of strong female characters that are not like masculinized. Mm. Does that make sense? Like the show yeah. does a very good job of making strong female characters that are feminine. Right. They, they don't have to pretend to be male to be strong. Right. 
And I think that's one of the beauties of, of this show. So we will go into that later on. Then we have her brother, Sokka. He's not a bender. He's actually the only non-bender in Team Avatar, which is kind of a running thing where he kind of feels like he needs to justify himself by showing that he's a great warrior like his father. And so a lot of it is he's the comic relief, but he's also a really, really good guy at heart. And, and we see a lot of growth come from him. And then we have probably most people's favorite character, if you've seen the whole show, which is Prince Zuko. Mm. He is the heir to the Fire Nation throne until he is banished by his father. When the show starts, he's 16 years old, and he basically spends every moment of his life hunting Aang to prove to his father that he is worthy of being respected and and being welcomed back into his his home. And then we have the most brilliant of all characters, Uncle Iroh, who we will talk a lot about in our patron episode. But he is one of the great generals of the Fire Nation who has since retired and is obsessed with tea and playing games like Tai Show. And Pai, it's Pai Show. Pai Show. Pai Show. Oh, my bad. I knew that. Did I mistype that? Yeah, probably. Pai Show. Playing games like Pai Show. And he he's basically given up everything to be with Zuko. So when Zuko was banished, Iroh went with him. Yeah. And then I don't know how many of these characters you want to go into. We should probably talk about Appa, which you already said. Yeah. Was. I mean, I think Appa and Toph okay. and Azula are the main one. Okay. So Appa, like we said, is Aang's best friend, who's also a flying bison. He's also the last of his kind because only the airbenders had them. But he's essentially a white buffalo that can fly, which is awesome. And I made a note on here. I did name one of my cars after Appa at one point because it, sometimes it struggled to move. Uh, <laughs> and so I would yip yip to, to get it going, you know. Uh, and that's actually the one that was destroyed in Hurricane Harvey. So fun fact for you there. Uh, yeah. Sorry, Appa. Water, water destroyed your water bison, your flying bison. My, my flying bison, yeah. Let's see. And then we have Toph, which is, yeah. yeah, she's a great one. She comes in season two, like we said, to join Team Avatar. She is this rich, blind Earth Kingdom girl who is probably the best Earthbender living at, the, at this yes. time period. And right. she comes up with her own like specialty form of bending called metal bending, which up until that point, no one had ever done before. So she's yeah. kind of specialty there. And she becomes Aang's earthbending teacher. And then, like we said, Azula, she's the princess of the Fire Nation. She is sheer evil and hatred. And she's kind of like the epitome of, of evil in, in this show. Uh, she's very much like her father, who is just like the, the evil em emperor to the point where he even killed his own father and tried to do the same to Iroh, I believe, at one point, or at least get him banished, who would be his brother, all so he could have the power of the throne. And Azula is the same way. She has no problem with killing her own brother, her own mother, her own uncle, you name it. She just, for me, she just reminds me of Palpatine. Oh, yes, absolutely. She's just, I mean, like more so than her father, but yeah, she's like, a, she's like a Palpatine character as an evil female warrior. Yeah. Yeah. And the thing about the relationship between her and her father, her dad, you don't even really see his face much 
in the especially you don't see it at all in season one until season three i think is the first time you see his face yes and that very much goes with the idea of like he's withdrawn from his family which we'll talk a lot about in in season three because that's really where it hits home that that's a theme but he also is withdrawn from doing a lot of the evil all of the evil that we see him do is done behind closed doors he has other people do it for him and azula is one of those main people she has no problem doing the dirty work doing the killing and whatever that's yeah and that's that's why i think she's like one of the most evil her dad is also mark hamill yeah oh that's the other thing there are a bunch of star wars people in here so dave filoni who made like all of the best star wars tv shows like clone wars and uh rebels and stuff he directed like half of these shows for avatar and then the guy who does the voice for all of the the clone troopers Mm. he's also does voices in here too so makes sense that there's so much good all right so i think that's all for like warm-ups information yeah i think so setting setting the scene setting the scene yes sir all right so kind of like we did for hamilton like we did a couple weeks ago i'm going to mix things up a little bit and actually talk about themes first because we're assuming that you guys have seen the show at this point So what we're going to do is start with some key themes that we recognized and then do some like steps through some of the episodes that that we recognized. Sounds good. So the first one that I want to point out is the avatar as our Christ figure. I am interested in what you said before about him being kind of like our, our Pope figure, but really the reincarnation thing or the fact that we only have one at a time that leads into the Dalai Lama because the way that they choose the toys is the same process they use for the Dalai Lama. And so I think there's a really strong connection there and that's probably what they were going for. But there is something to that idea of, of papacy. It's also, it's also a thing of um, uh, me and Lizzie went to the Hindu. We went to the Hindu temples in Houston because there's one that's like really gorgeous. The architecture is, yeah. and we learned a lot of the history and they believe that their current leader is the like each time that it, it's a new leader it's the same person in a different body the reincarnation yeah so that's as a that's a it's a hindu thing too yeah so that is clearly a distinction that we want to make like obviously that is not what we're going for and that is one of the drawbacks to what we do on the show is even though that is not what the writers and the directors and the actors were intending we can still find these themes in here of course so i think the Avatar is is very much showing us a, a Christ figure, mostly for the fact that he's the bridge between the spiritual and physical worlds. And his job is to bring balance and peace. And he is an incarnated God or spirit. And I, I guess we do learn more about that in the Legends of Korra. But he is this spirit or, or God become man. And the reason for that was to be a solution to a division between the spiritual world and the physical world. And so this idea that there's this, this fall where there's the spiritual and the physical are no longer working together. I mean, this is theology of the body, right? And so for that reason, we have Christ, our redeemer. So that's kind of what I saw there. I don't, I don't know what you think. I, I do like your idea of the papacy. For me, it's actually what you have next, but in, it's different than what you put, put down. And it was... The idea that because it's kind of like this incarnation 
any avatar can like tap into the mind and spirit of the previous avatars. Mm-hmm. And that reminds me of something that I know you talk about a lot on this podcast and you love, which is tradition. Yeah. And, and so the same way that when Christ, when Jesus had to leave, he made Peter the stone. And because of that, we can believe that every decision is, is like kind of Christ led as our church father. Oh. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I see that. So I, I see what you put about the saints, but I, yeah. for me, I took it as like on accident. Cause I uh, said he was the Pope that it's just the idea of tradition being carried down from the source. Yeah. So whoever was the very first avatar or even another good thing with source, but this is jumping way ahead is when Toph talks about how she learned to become an earthbender. So even if it's like the source of where bending comes from, being led into people all the way down to mm. now we have Aang and it's just this tradition that stays. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I know we promised not to get too much into the yeah, yeah, yeah. legend of Korra, but uh, that is honestly one of the few episodes in legend of Korra where I'm just like, this is amazing is the, the spiritual aspect of it. But yeah, I definitely see where you're going and you, you pointed out my next note, which is the connection of the avatars right. to their previous avatars. Uh, and to me, that does show us something of our communication with the saints. And I don't think that's a a strong connection or theme. So I I do like what you were saying better, honestly, than than what I'm thinking here. The whole point of their connection to the previous avatars was to have guidance or assistance or communication. Wisdom. Wisdom. Thank you. Yeah. Wisdom. (laughs) That's the word they used is my wisdom for you is this. Yeah. So the wisdom. And then the other thing I just thought of is like, because you put connection between the physical and the spiritual, it's very much, it shows the incarnation of, which is actually why I see what you put, incarnation of Christ. So yeah. Jesus as man, because even though Aang, you know, especially in full avatar mode is like the most powerful, he's still just a kid. Right. And like, because of that, he still has, he still has fears. He still has moral issues. He has to f- battle with himself and he, he struggles to, really even desire to save the world. He just wants to have fun. Jesus didn't really have that struggle, but we see like the agony of the garden, like where he does realize the humanity aspect of his incarnation. Yeah. And that's another thing that I I love about this show, which I do have in a a theme down below too. So we'll definitely be coming back to that. So the next two things are not something that I came up with myself. I found this in an article that made some propositions, which I wanted to bring up. So the first one is Sokka as Peter. And hopefully this is the last thing that references Korra. But kind of the idea that they, they were arguing here is that at first he actually rejected Aang. He didn't want to go. He didn't want to have anything to do with what was going on. He just wanted to protect his people. He wanted to be the warrior that kept everyone safe. He makes loads of mistakes. And he's often, like I said, the, the comic relief and that makes him seem like an idiot sometimes and just like not getting it but in the end he becomes the leader he becomes the the great leader of the uh the republic in in the legend of Korra. sorry spoilers but it it's kind of the idea of this person who makes mistakes who doesn't want to like take on that role at first but eventually is chosen not just in spite of his weaknesses, but partially because of his weaknesses and because of what that's 
what has come from that, right? Mm-hmm. Again, I don't think it's a super strong argument, but I think it's uh, at least worth bringing up. Yeah, I don't think I have anything to add. I think that it paints the attributes of Peter well. So. Yeah. And the other one that I actually think has a lot more to it, a lot more credence to it, is Zuko as Paul. We see, especially in season one and into season two, and obviously even season three, Zuko is persecuting and hunting Team Avatar. That is his sole purpose is to hunt Aang and to capture him, to essentially give honor to himself, to redeem his honor, and to rejoin his family. But he has this conversion, which we're going to be talking about, like we said, next week. And eventually he joins them and becomes one of the strongest allies. And we do see what that looks like going into the, the later series as well. But I, I think there's a lot to that where we see that powerful conversion of hunting and pursuing them to joining them and becoming a Pauline figure. I think that's awesome. Yeah. All right. So then hopefully some stuff that I, I think is a little bit more discussion oriented here. But this show, probably one of the things that people love the most is the fact that it's a children's show that takes huge, huge issues and addresses them so well. Mm-hmm. So I listed off a bunch of them here, but hopefully we can just we can talk about a few of them at least. So I have genocide, sexism, refugees, colonialization, imperialism, physical disabilities, government corruption, emotional and physical abuse, and then uncomfortable encounters with people during war from, from both sides, the aggressors and the, those being attacked, respect for nature and animals, the power and the weakness of teenage activism, which you talked about before of like what it looks like for these teenagers to be the ones that are saving the world. Right. And for mourning, right? We see a lot of, of that come up as well. Go ahead. That's just one thing that I noticed going through the show or watching it. I was like, I can see why Clint wants to do this or why it's been requested because each episode has one of these topics. And I think two others I can think of is like pollution was one they covered with the water area um, and poverty. And then another one, which I guess is kind of like colonization with the scientist's son of uh, the advancement of technology on top of tradition. Mm. And, and, you know, and that was like one of my favorite episodes with that discussion because of just like, he's like, no one was here. And I'm not trying to ruin this. I'm just building something new on top of what was been built. And it's, I don't know, but we don't get into all that. It's just, yeah, there was a, there's a lot. Yeah. And again, watching that as an adult, it's like he, he was trying to do his best to respect what was there he was. by imitating it. Yeah. There's, there's a lot to that too. Yeah. So much. But obviously like all of these issues that I brought up are things that the church in its own way has acknowledged and has tried to to handle in, in a Christ-like way. So sexism, honestly, this, this is interesting because the church gets a pretty bad rap for being considered sexist a lot of the times or misogynistic. It's really just not the case, to be honest. If, if you look at the early church, the, the early church gave more power and, and rights to, to women than the cultures around them. We are our highest esteemed being human uh, other than God himself is, is Mary, who is, who's a woman. <laughs> and then even in our theology, uh, we just have a very beautiful theology of, of what it means to be, to be feminine and to be, to be woman. 
and what that looks like. So I do think there's a lot to that. And like I said before, maybe I'm, I'm wrong, but I think like Katara and Suki are, are great examples of this, but powerful women who are very much feminine, you know? So is uh, Ma, May? Mai. Mai is insane. So, I mean, all those, all those, th- well, yeah, all those three girls are feminine in three aspects of like femininity, but also extremely powerful. Azula, Mai, and the other sister, you know, you have like the girly girl, Tiny. the power, the, the powerful, power hungry one, and then like the goth. <laughs> but they're all like, they don't try to be masculine in any way. Yeah. But they're very powerful and really cool characters. And and even Toph, too, now that I think about it. Yeah, I was thinking about Toph. Toph's my favorite of, of all of them, but uh, she's more of a tomboy. Yeah. She's also very young, too. She's right. only like 11 or 12 still, so there's there's that. So I think that's a big one. Obviously, refugees, this is something that has come up recently, especially in the U.S. And, and what does it look like? What do we need to do uh, as, as a country? to provide for refugees. What does that look like? Obviously, there's the, the idea that Christ himself was a refugee. He fled to Egypt as a child with, his, with the Holy Family. Yeah, respect for, for nature and for life. He brought that up as well. Yeah, and then the, the last one I wanted to mention was the power and weakness of teenage activism. Yeah, this is something that I think you and I get to see firsthand a lot because working in ministry, you realize really quickly, young people want so badly to do good so badly and to do good in in big ways and i think one of the interesting things about the current generation the igen gen z whatever you want to call them is because of the way our world is now they have platforms to make huge change at a very young age but they can also make huge changes that are very uninformed and sometimes hasty. And so we see that happen in this show too, where all the characters are very young, all, all the major characters, except for Iroh, I guess, but they're all teenagers, even Azula and, and Zuko. And so we see the major actors in this world are essentially children and teenagers. Yeah. And so we see a lot of good that they can do, but we, can, we also see a lot of damage that can come from hastily made decisions and that comes up very often. Uh, Zuko, I think, is a great example of that in, in his decision-making. I agree. Okay, and then I just wanted to bring up as well emotions, because I think that kind of goes along with that as well. This show, I think, does a great job of, of showing emotions and how they're a good thing. And we see male characters that cry often. Mm-hmm. We see Iroh, who... I can't wait to talk about Iroh. He's just such a good man with such a bad past. But we see Sokka cries. We see Aang cries. Like like men who are not afraid to cry and and women who are willing to address their emotions in a healthy way too. And I think that's one of the, the beautiful things of the show is that in order to bend, you have to be in touch with your emotions. That's one of the themes that comes up very often. That's really interesting is because like, bending is different for each element and so like with fire bending you have to be in touch with your emotions but you can't bend out of your emotions yeah but with like water bending you want to kind of bend with your with your emotions and and use that 
but mm-hmm. so it's just like really interesting where like certain things emotions can like ruin it but you have to be in touch of your emotions in order to control that yeah so yeah and a lot of iroh's lessons to zuko come from that knowledge of where zuko is just so so controlled by by those things mm-hmm. so we'll save that for next week though the next major theme i wanted to bring up was finding the good in every group of people or individual too we just see we see a lot of redemption we see a lot of groups that should be considered enemies where you find friends i, I think that's a huge huge theme do you have anything that you want to say to that i don't want to hog all the conversation here. no i mean I think the biggest one with that finding the good in every group and person would be the the end, like the very last three episodes. Sure. With you know Aang's moral struggle of his ultimate goal. Mm-hmm. But I don't want to like that's like season three, so I don't want to get into yeah. that or, or or spoil it just yet. So yeah, but I I do think that is a common theme in small ways throughout sure. the entire show, and yeah. the reason I wanted to speak to that is because. It is within Christianity, it's, it's a pretty uniquely Catholic idea that people are innately good and that the, the evil within us is a result of the fall. There's the analogy that um, non-Catholic Christians, so Protestants, kind of have the viewpoint of the human being as a dung heap covered in, in snow, which is the grace of God. So it looks good, but on the inside, we are corrupt individuals. And it's only through the grace of God that we're made good. And as Catholics, we believe that we were initially made good. We see that in Genesis where, where God says that what he made is very good. He looks at humanity, mm-hmm. man and woman, and says, this is very good. And we believe that. But as a result of the fall, we have been corrupted by sin. And so we are kind of like the snow pile, which is covered in dung, which is then washed away by the snow, I guess, which is the grace of God. Uh, I don't know where to go from there, but like we are covered in, in that, that sin, but then we are washed clean of that through the grace. So those are kind of the, just the different perspectives of that. But I think that is a very uniquely Catholic with, within the realm of Christian themes, a uniquely Catholic concept. Yeah. All right. The next theme. Yeah. Do you want to keep going or no? Yeah, go ahead. All right. Is hope. And uh, I think you mentioned earlier when we went over some characters, that's like biggest in Katara, but it's really just biggest on the, the, the premise. So, I mean, like this will not ruin anything because it's actually season one. We quickly learn that Aang has to try to restore balance through the Fire Nation before this comet comes, mm-hmm. which is going to come within like a year at the end of next summer. And it usually takes years tens tens to 20s or 30 years for an avatar to master all the elements so Aang has little less than a year to do that no pressure. and katara talks about like guys we got to keep doing this or this or, but everyone always has like one type of like big monologue in one ep- in each episode to get the team to keep going and yeah it's it's all the whole series is really hinged on hope that they can even pull that off. Yeah. It's huge. This, this stood out to me big time going through and like watching and taking notes and everything. Cause this has been probably the th- thing that's been on my heart the most the last month is the idea of hope and just sometimes feeling hopeless in the midst of this pandemic and everything that's going on. 
And so I've really been praying on what does it mean that we as Christians are people of hope? And I actually, that was my topic today with my, with my middle schoolers talking about what does it look like? Why, why can we believe that we, we have hope right now as, as Christians? And, and we looked a lot at how, and I've mentioned this before, how Thomas Aquinas says that hope is the idea that there is a good which can be obtained or experienced, right? And so what is this good for us as Christians? It's this idea that we are, we are fallen. I mean, we just talked about that. But there is this redemption. There is this, uh, this opportunity for us to spend eternity with the being who created us, who loved us, and who, who forgives us. And that is the good. And that is obtainable, uh, not obtainable, is uh, possible for us to experience because he promised it to us over and over and over again. And he has shown that he has the ability to do that, not just through his crucifixion, but through his resurrection, right? He conquers death. He conquers sin. And so we have the ability to trust in that promise. Yeah. And so this has just been something that's really come up a lot. And I'm looking at, in, in my head, I'm thinking of the Serpent's Pass episode where mm-hmm. the sign literally says, abandon hope. And Aang's like, yeah, we should abandon hope because he, he's just in a really bad place. He lost Appa around, around that time. He's like, yeah, we should abandon hope. That's what we need to do. And everyone else is just like, we can't abandon hope. That's all we have left. And that's also the episode where the refugees give birth to a child and, and name it hope. And we see that like hope is what brought them through. If, if they had actually abandoned hope, they wouldn't have made it through the serpent's pass, you know? Yeah. Well, I think it's interesting. You asked like, what is, what does it mean to be people or Christians uh, who hope or have hope? Because one thing I noticed with the show, and I think this is actually, I wouldn't say it's a danger of hope. I don't know how to word it. It's just something to be aware of when being hopeful is they were so hopeful, except for the middle part where they lost Appa. They're so hopeful on Aang stopping the Fire Nation. They didn't even consider the possibility of failure mm. until, until like the first big plan they thought was going to work didn't. And then until like the last four episodes where Aang started having nightmares and then he's like, wait, this could also, this could like not work. You know, it's kind of like faith without works. You can't have like hope without living out in hope. You can't just be like, Oh, well, I hope in the promise of Christ, but I'm just go do this and this and this, even though I'm not supposed to mm-hmm. because Christ, Christ promised me redemption. Yeah. There's still the possibility of, of other, but if you're being hopeful and the way you live and act is out of that hope, that's different. Yeah. Cause hope as a theological virtue comes both from God and points us to God. Right. And in order for us to fully experience that hope, we have to accept him as, as our Lord. And I, I don't mean that in like a cliche way, but what does it mean that Christ is the Lord of your life? You have to trust that that takes a lot of humility and trust. And I think the issue that you're hitting at isn't necessarily too much hope, I think it's hope that gives birth to pride. Yeah. Because it's in pride that they they start to become maybe overconfident or not even overconfident, but they they miscalculate or or whatever, but they become prideful. And that's where the idea of like we can't fail comes from. Yeah, or or hope is more of a personal thing, but if you put too much hope into someone else, because they're I don't know if Suko and Katara become prideful, but they put everything on Aang with like, 
I know you can do this without mm. even thinking like, what if he doesn't? Oh yeah. Yeah. I see, I see what you're saying. I don't know how to word that, but that's just like a real thing. Yeah. So it's like a awareness, just being aware yeah. of everything within the, the midst of hoping and living out your faith. Sure. Yeah. I, I think that's a, a huge theme. And the last thing I want, I wanted to bring up on that, and maybe you have some other notes, the idea that when hope is mentioned, the episode I'm thinking about now, I can't even remember what it's called, but where there's the earth bending tribe where all of the people in the village are put on the, the rig to work as like slaves if, if they're vendors. This is season one. Oh yeah. Okay. And Katara comes in to try and give them hope, but they're all just not complacent necessarily, but they're just all zombies. Like they've, they've lost hope. And so they are numb. Maybe that's the word numb. And they don't want to do anything. They don't want to stand up for justice. They don't want to work. They, they don't even want to live. Well, They're just there. They do, they do want to live. Because when she says the thing and then no one responds, like the dad goes to her and he's like, look, we can't cling to hope and re- like revolt or do anything. We're just trying to survive. Uh, yeah, you were right. You're right. Okay, so they cling to their life, but that's really all they're hanging on to. Yeah. There's really nothing else. And so that's so dangerous in our faith. We've talked about this before of where when we become complacent or stagnant in our faith, we're actually digressing. We're actually going backwards. And so it's not this idea that I need to do something, but it's this idea that we need to be constantly participating in the grace and and responding to the grace that that is sent to us and that we receive from Christ. And when we become lazy, or choose not to accept or act on that grace, we become stagnant and dead and, and zombies, much like those earthbenders. Yeah. So I think that's why hope is so important. That's that's what motivates us to act on that grace, I think. No, that's a good point. Because in that episode too, like, you know, to be honest, through their eyes and when you're watching it, they have every reason to really think of nothing else but trying to survive. Mm. But Qatar really shows them like, look, like, even though you're on this rig that you can't bend and you're powerless and everyone, everything else is like against you. And so all you really should do is like try to defend. There's still ways to get around that. You just have to get creative. And like the only way you can get creative is if you have hope. I think that goes back to what I was saying about Thomas Aquinas before, where they, they know there's a good, the good is their freedom. The good is their families. The good is their lives. They just don't believe that it's obtainable because they've had everything taken away from them. Mm-hmm. And so the way that Katara brings hope back to them is by showing them that it's obtainable, brings right. them coal, which they can use, right? And so they're acting upon, in a way, this grace, because grace is just like Greek for gift, right? This gift from Katara, they're acting upon that and responding to that. Yeah. So yeah, I think that brings us full cycle. Yeah. Okay, so the next theme that I saw was justice and mercy. Themes that we have talked about on the show before in different different ways. But yeah, I, I just think there's a lot of different ways where that comes up. A lot of it revolves around Aang because he is thrust into this leadership position, even as a 12-year-old where he has to make decisions, very, very important decisions and decisions that will change people's lives. So I think that's a, a theme that comes up a lot. Anything you want to throw in before I add any more thoughts? <laughs> one episode that comes to mind with these two themes is the same one, the Serpent's Pass episode. Okay. Because of the two tribes 
that are there. That's a different one. Serpent's Pass. Serpent's Pass is the one where they go through the the water pass into Bossy. Oh, is that where Abandon All Hope was? Are you sure it wasn't? Yeah. Okay. Well, then the other. I know which one you're talking about, though. I just I can't remember. Yeah, what it's it was okay. Called. They go into the canyon, and there's the two tribes that hate each other, and they have for years, so long actually, that they don't even they they kind of know why they hate each other, but when you hear both sides of the story, you're like, wait a minute, there's something else. And then they like learn that like they've misunderstood this entire thing. And so like what true justice and what true mercy like looks like, it kind of comes, comes a fold when Aang is there and like kind of can mend that. But it's, yeah, that's just so funny. I think that's so real. Yeah. Especially when you're reading those things of, of certain people or even kids now who are raised under certain families who their beliefs are kind of thrust upon them. And then that just spirals or just is a vicious cycle. And eventually we have kids or grown people who act certain ways that we would be like, why would someone do that? And they really just don't, don't know any better or don't know like the truth that was generations old. Yeah. It's really unfortunate in that episode that after Aang explains all that, he's like, yeah, I just made all that up, this story and everything. Because it's such a satisfying ending like the way that he said it. And I think it's more for comic relief to say, oh yeah, I, I, didn't, I wasn't there. Well, I, I knew when he was talking, it was made up. But even before he gave his tell, you could tell that there were pieces of information missing mm-hmm. and that what the true story had to be, no one was at fault. Yeah, and, and I love that this is the episode that you thought of because this is, I'm pretty positive the one where I'm like, yeah, this needs to be a theme that we talk about. So I think, I think that's when I added it to my notes. But yeah, one of the things I... I like to talk about when I get a soapbox on uh, on the topic of justice and mercy is that we see them as two opposing things. And typically when we talk about that in the in the lens of Christianity, we're talking about Old Testament is justice, New Testament is mercy. And from the very beginning, I shouldn't say it's, it's not contested. Uh, it, it is contested. <laughs> Obviously, we had different heresies early on. But the majority of people acknowledged that the idea of a just God, perfectly just God and perfectly merciful God is not in opposition. One of the ways I like to kind of explain that, I know I've done it on here before, is when we look at mercy, the word mercy comes from the Latin misericordiae, which means where the heart meets suffering. And so if you think about that, mercy is to show love where someone is suffering. Justice means to give what is deserved to someone. And so often that is a a punishment, right? To help form them. But ultimately what is deserved to someone is love. And sometimes love, I mean, we even have the phrase tough love, right? Sometimes you need to experience a love that seems like a punishment. For example, we look at parents, right? A a parent sometimes needs to punish their child, not because they hate them, but because justice and in the way they have to show mercy to their child is to love them through this, this tough love. And so we see, I think that perfect justice, justice that is not flawed by our own emotions or bias and perfect mercy are the exact same thing. And so it actually makes yeah. sense that a perfect God would perfectly show justice and perfectly show mercy because they're interchangeable when we look at it through that lens and the Jewish people, there was no doubt in their mind that the Old Testament God was a merciful God. 
read the Psalms or read any of the Old Testament, you see over and over and over again, they, they say, we were unfaithful, oh God, and you and your mercy have brought us back over right. and over again. That's, that's the entire book of wisdom, the entire Psalms, you name it. It's all about that. And so there's, there's no doubt in, in their mind that, that that's, that's the case. So I think you can actually witness what perfect justice and mercy looks like in how Aang deals with the Fire Lord. Yes. Oh, yes. But that will come later. Because I was just thinking this whole time, like justice and mercy is more of a topic for Zuko. But yeah, the, the last episode, you see perfect justice and mercy because he handles that justly. He rightly gives what he deserves. Absolutely. But with mercy. Oh, that's so good. Uh, <laughs> make sure we bring that up next week too. Uh, <laughs> so another reason for you guys to tune in next week for the season three Zuko episode, because that is going to be, there's going to be so much good. Ah, oh, gosh, that's, that season is just amazing. Okay. So the next theme that I wanted to bring up is kind of what you, what you brought up before is that the fact that they are just kids and that they are truly childlike throughout this whole thing. So even though they are the great heroes, they do not lose sight for the most part. I mean, they, they have their, their moments where they kind of lose sight of it, but where they know that they are kids and they know mm-hmm. that they need to take breaks in season two, there's a whole couple episodes where they talk about vacationing. You know, they're like, we need to vacation. It's, it's yep. Sabbathing. Many, you know? many vacations. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so it's essentially this idea of, of Sabbath. So I just wanted to kind of talk about the idea of what it means to be childlike. I think it's very powerful that all of our major characters and all of the heroes are children or, or teens. I think there's something to that. Yeah, I think the best besides Aang, but it's always weird seeing kids being childlike versus an adult being childlike because we are told as Christians, no matter how old we get to stay childlike. But I think the best example in this show, and I don't think you actually have him as a character, so I can't remember his name. You can tell me what it is. The Earthbender Lord? Oh, Boomy. Boomy. King Boomy. King Boomy is a perfect example of an old, like old grown man who remains childlike because when Aang first meets him again, 100 years later, the first thing he does is trial Aang. But all the tests, like the answer to every test that he gave him was to be childlike. Like mm-hmm. he, he trained Aang from when they were friends to think outside the box and think differently. But the only way someone could think about think that way is if they're a kid who sees a water trough and thinks that's a slide. Oh, yeah, that's so good. I didn't even think of him. Yeah. But yeah, he's got to be one of the oldest people alive in this show. Right. He was 12 when Aang was 12. So he, it makes him 112 actually like his body wasn't frozen for 100 years he's actually 112 but he's still <laughs> to the point where like when he's captured he shows ang like while they're escaping that he can get out of this chest if he wanted to but he's like why don't you leave he's like i'm waiting for the perfect opportunity yeah where he's just so wise but his wisdom comes from yeah his his his, his childlikeness yeah his like phrase there was to wait and listen that was like, one of the things i wanted to talk about if we had time to go into the individual episodes but to wait and to listen and that's how ang would learn earthbending i think that's powerful advice for us spiritually too you know just yeah. wait and listen wait yeah. and listen and that was very difficult for ang to to learn 
and not because he's not good at listening because i mean he's he's a monk he spent hours and, and days meditating you know he he waits and he listens but there's a difference between the meditation that he was doing and the the patience and the fortitude required to earthbend and right. that's what he struggled with right uh, which is yeah. also a really really neat and episode. you see that in toff who understands that idea too and is gifted with a way to do that because mm-hmm. she's blind yeah yep. yeah and I, I think one of the big things of being childlike in this show that we can appreciate is the idea of finding joy in the simple things mm-hmm. and not being overwhelmed by their task, even though they had the greatest task, like the most difficult thing going on in the world was theirs. And they found time to Sabbath. They found time to enjoy life, to build relationships and to just in general be joyful and I think Ang was so good at that. I mean, yeah. <laughs> he wanted to just take side tours to go ride penguins right. or whatever or, animal or the, he could find. the biggest fish in a pond. Yeah. Yeah. And like that was what they did. And I know that is one of the rule rules of life for a door. Maybe it's not anymore. It wasn't the old rule of life. But to, to Sabbath well. And I know that's something like I wish I did better. I wish I Sabbath better. But we need that as as people. You know, Christ says the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath, right? And so it's it's a gift that, that we we have. All right. Which brings us to what I have as, as my last theme for, for this episode, but the value and diversity of gifts, not just among the benders, because we have the four different types of benders, but non-benders too. And we see that primarily through Sokka, or, or Jet, or some of those, those other characters. And this emphasis on everyone having their own individual calling. Mm-hmm. So anything you want to speak to that? Yeah, I think, so like I said, this is the first time me and Lizzie really finished it. We'd seen a lot of it. And I think we actually both had the same thought along the lines of we didn't think Aang was going to master the elements by the end our assumption was he was just going to acquire a team of individual skill sets, which he he does do as well as the former. But we just thought like, you know, as long as he's a, you know, a master and heir and knows a little bit of the others, he has a very powerful earthbender. He has a very powerful waterbender. He eventually acquires a very powerful firebender. And then he even has, then, you know, he was his, uh, Sokka becomes like a, an extremely powerful sword master and just these skill sets of like, it doesn't, and they even have that whole episode where Sokka goes and trains to be a swordsman. Mm-hmm. And he, the whole conversation is like, he feels useless, you know, cause they're always like playing around and doing silly stuff with, with their bending and he's just chilling there and they'll say something and they'll laugh at him. And he's like, what do you like? I'm, I'm trying to take me seriously. And I think that comes out of like wounds from like his childhood and, and his father, but, it's just interesting because they do, even though he's not a bender, even he, and even it, even though he also becomes a powerful swordsman, there's also this idea, and if you haven't seen the show, you have to watch it. They would have failed if Sokka was not a part of the team. Like if just Katara and Aang left from episode one or two from the Water Tribe, they would have failed because Sokka is the idea guy. He's the map guy. 
he's the plan guy. Like he comes up with everything to the point where like something happens and they just look at him and he's like, why are you looking at me? I have no idea what we're supposed to do. You're the idea guy. And they're like, you're the one that comes up with all the good ideas. And he's like, I, I, I have no idea what I, I mean, they probably would forget to eat if it wasn't for soccer. <laughs> he is constantly eating. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's something I, I that's one of my, like besides the individual social issues in each episode, my other favorite thing was just like, everyone has their own talent and no one talent outshines the other, which is where the last two fire Lords have failed with, without thinking that way. Mm-hmm. Cause they're just trying to outshine the rest. And that's why we're in this predicament. Yeah. Yeah. I, I want to bring up two things with that actually, because what your last comment there just reminded me of season two where Iroh is talking to Zuko about the four elements and what you can learn from each of them. Right. And how understanding one helps you understand your own element better. Yeah. And just that whole discourse is just so wise and and beautiful. And I think there's a lot that we can learn from that. I guarantee you that's going to be one of the ones I talk about on our patron episode with Iroh. But I, I just think there's a lot to that and recognizing there's gifts that we don't have. And just because they're different, and we don't understand them does not mean we can't appreciate them and learn from them. And there's just so much beauty there. And you look like you have something and then I'll tie in something else too. The, yeah. The other thing, just now that you're talking about that, cause that was one of my favorite things too, especially cause he shows him that move. And when he teaches, when Zuko teaches in that move, he's like, Oh, this is like, this is like water bending. He's like, it's exactly where my uncle learned it from. But yeah. the idea that if you're trying to be a Jack of all trades, or if you're trying to, master a whole bunch of talents. There are going to be certain talents that are harder to learn than others because of your strong suits. And we see this in the avatar. So like Aang, it's harder for him to learn earthbending because it's the opposite of airbending. Mm. That's the hardest element for him to learn. And then when we get to meet the previous avatars, the fire nation said the hardest one for him to learn was the water bending because they, they mentioned that when, when the elements oppose each other, it's harder to learn. Like if you're naturally a firebender, it's, it's very hard for you to master water. And yeah. so it was really hard for him to learn earthbending, which is why Aang kind of just like pushed off that training every time and why he wasn't so good at being patient and listening. But it's not like it was really his fault. He just had to work harder at it. And that's very something that's true for us. Like if, if we are very good at one thing, whatever the opposite of that is, we can still be good at it. It's just going to take a lot more effort. Yeah. And it's harder for us to respect that other thing too. Yeah. I, I think that creates a lot of division in, in the church. You know, we look at different charisms, we look at different, even just views of, of mass, right? I think it's one of the biggest division in the church is you have maybe your charismatics and then your, your rad trads as they call themselves. Right. And that's one of the biggest divisions right now is this, thing that because it's so different from where I am, it's so hard to understand. But the fact is that's still the church. It's still the Eucharist and those people are still our brothers and sisters. And it might be hard for us to comprehend. It might be hard for us to respect that, but it is. Yeah. That's Christ's church. And there's nothing we can do or say that that'll change that. Yeah. And for Iroh to look at the water nation, which is the exact opposite of the nation that he was born into and naturally a part of, and take their movements not to learn it, 
but to apply it to his nation mm-hmm. is so radical. So wise. I mean, oh. it's not just wise, but it's even radical like today. So like, that's like saying like a rad trad looking at what can I learn from the charismatic movement? Yeah. What can I take and apply that to traditional yeah. masses and, and, and teachings? Yeah. That's, that's, that's amazing. Yeah. I didn't even think about it like that. Okay. So just completely dovetail a completely different direction. One of the things that kind of made me really think about this specific theme, not as a, not as like the unique gifts, but more as the, the calling, the vocation is going back to that episode where the earthbenders are imprisoned, right? On the, the like oil, yeah, oil rig type thing, whatever it is. So at the very end, the earthbender teenager Haru that Katara befriended kind of had a maybe thing with, you know, he asked her to stay and she says, your mission is to take back your home. Mine is to get Aang to the North Pole. And it's, it's a very simple statement. And it's something that in different ways has come up several times in the first two seasons. But it's this idea that you have your part in this grand mission and mm-hmm. I have mine and neither of us can do the other. If I stay, then I'm not doing my calling. If you come with me, then you're not doing your calling. And it's this idea that we have a very unique vocation. Some of us are to stay in our home, are to stay and, and uh, as Mother Teresa said, sweep your own porch, right? And yeah. some of us are called to go out and do great things, like great well-known things, you know? Yeah, this is, this is something that's taught in like fundraising for, well, you know, as, as what, what we do as missionaries, but just fundraising in general, that going off of what you're just talking about is that also each, no role is more important than the other. Right. And, and the scripture they talk, well, they talk about a bunch of scriptures. One of the scriptures they talk about is uh, one of the wars uh, with the Israelites in the Old Testament where we see there are soldiers out in the fields and then there are those that have to guard the luggage. Mm. But the scripture states during like specifically that the bounty of, of the result of the war is all of theirs. Yeah. What, one of my favorites, which is around the same time, it's during the, the conquering of the, the Holy Land. There's a description of a great battle where uh, this, this one group is sent to protect uh, like a turnip field, I think is, is what it's called. Yeah. And they just have to stay in this turnip field. And that's what they have to guard, which sounds so dumb. It's just this tiny little field on the side of the army. It's not going to be a major battle point. But the thing is, and they point this out, that's a flank. If, if they don't stay there and hold that ground, this turnip field, if they decide they're going to go somewhere else, that flank is exposed and the entire army is overrun. And so it says in scripture, like, that man and his, his soldiers held that turnip field. And because of that, maybe it's not turnips. I don't know what it is, but because of that, they won the battle. And it's like this idea of, I just need to stay here and guard my turnip field. If that's what I'm called to do, or if I'm called to be in the other part of the army, that's what I need to do. And that's it. Mm -hmm. And both of them are needed to win this war. And that, that is very much seen, I think throughout this entire show. Okay. So just one of the last things I want to bring up, I know there's a lot more stuff in this show. Like we said, we're not going to touch it all, but come back next week. We're definitely going to hit season three, talk about Zuko 
and hopefully come back to a few of these themes that we, we missed this week just because of time. For sure. But one thing I do want to say really quick is from season one, about halfway through when we hear about the winter solstice, and this is the one where Aang is really starting to learn about the avatar cycle and the spirit world and his ability to go back and forth. Is this in the Northern tri- Northern Water Tribe? Uh, no. So this is with the the beast that turns into a panda. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, so during that whole conversation, the village leaders explain that the winter solstice, like during the winter solstice, the spirit world and the physical world are closest. And I just thought that was kind of funny because the winter solstice is when we celebrate Christmas, supposedly. And so that's exactly what we believe as Christians, that the the spirit world is incarnate into the physical world. That's what it means that Christ is born and, and is made man. He, he is the spirit world become flesh. So I just thought that was kind of funny that they brought that up because that is a central teaching of the, the Christian church. So how very pagan of you. <laughs> uh, that's me, Mr. Pagan. Uh, <laughs> so with that, we, we've been all over the board with this. There's we just so many different been. themes. Challenges. What do you think for challenges this week? Shoot. I mean, I don't want to give like five challenges. Yeah. Let's keep it uh, maybe three or less. <laughs> I think a big one, and this is actually something that was challenged me just the other day, is what we kind of just, just talked on with the ideas of, of roles that we're called into. And especially in this weird time of pandemic and whatever that looks like wherever you are whether that's you know starting back into normalcy or not or more pain because of loss of jobs whatever just like that what you're as long as you are striving faithfully to kind of just be to, to do your best and you're juggling all the struggles and joys that that is enough there's so much right now going on that you don't have to just don't like add more and, or do too much, but just stay faithful, stay hopeful. You know, those, those virtues we talked about and note, notice the joys, like with that childlikeness, like notice the, the small wins and the small joys and allow that to kind of just be, be enough right now. I think we talked about it when quarantine first hit, cause it was Lent that this was a great time to slow down and refocus. And I think we, in our, classic Eng's version of ourselves are so impatient to break out and get back to normalcy that we don't want to still be in Lent, but let's allow ourselves to still be. Yeah, no, that's, that's so good. I think, and to, we, we keep talking about like what we're going to do when things are normal again, but the fact is <laughs> we're not there. Yeah. We need to, we need to be the holiest people we can now. And yeah, I think that's very, very powerful. And going off of what you said, the mother Teresa quote of, God's not calling you to be successful. He's calling you to be faithful. Mm -hmm. And so as long as you are pursuing faithfulness to his will for you, you don't need to succeed. It's his job to succeed and to give you what you need to succeed if, if that's his will, but just be faithful and, and be happy with that. And yeah, I think that's a great challenge. Okay. So, so I think my challenge is first off to just be hopeful. 
yeah. this this question of what it means to be a people of hope, like I said, it's just been something I've been really wrestling with for several weeks now. And I want to give that question to you too. What does it mean to be a people of hope? Because that's what we are as Christians. We're supposed to be a beacon of hope to the world. And as I reflected on this, I was thinking about like the history of the church. And you look at uh, medieval times during the, the plague. What what did we do? We went out and we cared for people. We created hospitals, which had never been organized before and schools and orphanages and all these things. In the darkest time in the world, Christians were hope. During the Holocaust, you see Christians standing up to protect and to save those who are being persecuted and killed, even colonial times. You know, that's something that's been coming up a lot recently, like with Hunipro Sarah and stuff like that. We see Christians standing up and protecting those who are persecuted. But that same call is for us today. So what does it mean for us to be a people of hope, especially in the midst of, of such hopelessness? That's, that's my challenge. Take that, pray on it, and, and seriously pray on that and ask yourself that question. Because, well, I think I just thought of uh, our title for the episode. Uh, but when, when the Fire Nation attacks, when stuff gets crazy, hope is what we need to find, right? And that's, mm-hmm. that's what Aang provides to the world is, is hope that they haven't had for 100 years. Yeah. So there we go. Shout outs. Do you have anyone? Uh, a ton. Uh, Kevin, Kevin Matler, my family right now. Um, I don't know. I just, with all that's going on here in Georgia, I've just had, you know, a wave of support that I know that I have, but it's just one of those things where people intentionally kind of just reach out and let you know it's, it's really nice. So probably too many, but just everyone that happened to listen to this and you're like, am I included in that? Yes, you are. <laughs> So shout out everyone. Shout out everybody. Yeah. Excellent. Uh, I, I did say my shout outs earlier, but shout out to Kenzie and Cody, both for nominating and suggesting this, this podcast. Sorry, it's taken so long. Uh, hopefully we have done it justice. Please tune in next week because it's only going to get better. I'm so excited to talk about Zuko. I know both the guys, when they suggest this episode, they're like, I want to hear about the Zuko arc and, and how that fits in. So. It's going to be good. With that, thank you guys so much for joining us on the adventure this week. If you want to reach out to us, offer your insights on what themes we missed, feel free to reach out to us at Twitter at On the Adventure 2. You can find us on Facebook and YouTube, The Christ and Culture, or on our website, which is thechristandculture.com. Don't forget to share this with your friends and family especially during COVID. There's a lot of people who are looking for hope and looking for new things and and things to productively use their time that help them grow. So hopefully this can be an opportunity for them. If you haven't already, please like subscribe or give us a rating, especially if you are on iTunes or Apple podcasts. We really, really appreciate when people do that or Spotify and that helps us reach more people so that they can hear this message as well. Anything else, Gordon? I think that's it. The man has spoken. We will see you guys next week. Bye.